All right, episode five, Rives and the Mandem, Quarantine and Questions, joined by, um, I'm going to say Grime Scene Royalty. Uh, <laughs> I remember I remember vividly uh, growing up on a char. I remember hearing that, that, that sample in my head for like, I don't know how many years of my teenage life, because there was multiple, multiple remixes later on or, or from, from that record. So um, I'm joined by... I'm going to say Plastic Man is how (laughs) I remember that. But I know Plastician is how you're going by by your new name. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you doing? Um, I'm as good as you can be, I guess. I'm at home chilling. Xbox Life has taken a nice... nice Can't say that. I'm uh, not jealous of that. Got two kids running around, but Xbox sounds uh, sounds like... (laughs) Like a nice little, <laughs> it's a, a nice, nice sideline. It's, it's a nice getaway, man. Definitely, I need but, it. Um, I, I don't know where to start with um with you. Do I start currently or do I start history? What whatever works for you, man. We 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 got time. Don't worry, we got let's, time. Let's let, let's document a bit of history. Um, for for those who don't know who who Plastic Man is, who is Plastic Man? Um, so I guess I started out um, initially, even before Plastic Man, I was I was called Dark Star. I started DJing a garage when I was um, about eighteen. I was quite a. I came into like garage music around the same time that I was at college, studying art of all things, um, and I just wanted to learn how to DJ. I liked listening to garage on like pirate radio, and that was like kind of listening to tape packs and stuff like that you know borrowing friends tapes finding pirate stations um and yeah then it went from like that to like buying records djing as like dark star played on a couple of south london uh, pirate stations at that time for a couple of years and then i think like when i was probably about 20 um i started working um in distribution and the whole plastic man thing came about then because uh, I was working at a company called Street Sales, selling vinyl to various shops all over the UK. And um, I, we started distributing Rewind magazine into the, into the shops for them, uh, along with all the records that we were selling. And uh, they asked us as a company if we had anyone that wanted to do like reviews on vinyl, like the records that were coming out. So I said, oh, I'll do it. But I didn't want to do it as my DJ name because I didn't want it to affect... Like, oh, if I say some bad shit about someone's record or say something really good or whatever, like, you know, I don't want it to reflect on DJ. So I did it, like, under an alias, and the alias was Plastic Man. And um, okay, okay. and that's how that started, really. Then people started sending me records, and then I realised really quickly that all of this, like, growth that I thought I had done on Pirate Radio in South London, uh, you know, I thought, oh, you know, like, I don't want to ruin that didn't really think about actually distributing this magazine all over the UK. And I'm in that, that plastic man actually became way more well-known than I had even been known in my little like circuit in South London as dark star. So I started DJing as plastic man and um, the crew that I was in at the time kind of split. So I was on my own. And um, so through like doing the reviews, I was getting sent records by a guy called Mark one who was in a crew in Manchester called Virus Syndicate. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
they were rolling with Oris J, who was a producer around that time as well, and they got a show on Rinse. And I was like, I, I knew about Rinse because I used to listen to Slimzy on a Sunday. I used to have to sit in my room very in a specific spot to try and like, with the aerial, try and lock in. Because, uh, you know, it's hard to lock in back then. It went on, it was before the days of internet. Uh, it was know, a struggle but, still. It was my struggle. Yeah. You have to the, the tune in just right to, exactly. and the aerial's got to be angled just at the right 90 degree angle to get the, yeah, it was mad. It was mad. It was so far away. But where I lived, I was quite fortunate in Fulton Heath that I was like not far away from the big Crystal Palace mast. So we could occasionally, like with the right weather, we would get decent a decent little signal from Rince. Um, on a Sunday for Slimzy. And uh, yeah, so around that same sort of time, I was like, I was DJing uh, with Mark One and Virus Syndicate and I was making beats and I I got to like guest on their Rinse show a few times. And then when they couldn't make it down from Manchester, I would just cover the show on my own. And um, that's kind of how I came to get my own Rinse show because uh, Genius, who's running the station, said that he heard me one night just on my own. Um, Bear in mind, you know, like these times, 2003, it, most of the grime shows on, on Rinse were, were MCs and a DJ. So it was just bars, bars and beats. There was no talking about the music. And then when I was there on my own, I was like, I, got a, I can't just mix and not talk. Mm. So I got on the mic and just said, oh, like, this is this song. This is out now. Or this is a dub plate. Or this is that. And Genius heard it one night when he must have been driving. And he's like, oh, like we need a show where someone talks about this kind of music because we haven't got one. I want to give you your own show. You can still do the virus one on a Saturday night, but if you can do the seven till nine as well on Saturday, uh, that'd be, that'd be sick. Like we're trying to like educate people about what they're listening to a bit more. So I was like, yeah, definitely. So yeah, that, that was how I got my own, my first slot on rinse of my own. So I was doing seven till nine and then, and then 11 till one as well. I was just like, hang about east for a couple of hours just in my car mcdonald's drive through <laughs> the good days yeah yeah times are simpler back then you know what i mean uh but yeah that was it i just um i went on from there really you know like after that it was just like um you know by around that time that i got that that slot on rinse i was trying to get on rinse for a while i met uh dougs in uh, rhythm division once and logan was on rinse at the time and i asked him like how do I get on rinse? Like, I, I really want to get on rinse somehow. And he said, oh, you need to give a tape to someone called Dugs." And then I, I think I met Dugs in Rhythm Division, if I'm in my memory serves me right, and gave him a tape. And he actually hit me back and said, we thought it was really good, but you know, we haven't got any space on the station just yet. So, so Virus Syndicate was my, was my in really. I, I had tried to get on there before just on my own, but no one really knew who I was. And then it was through making the beats and Slimzy playing stuff that like, I built up a little reputation of my own so that when Virus Syndicate brought me in, people knew a little bit about who I was already. So that definitely helped. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the beats. Yeah. How did you get to be in this other genius almost? One of my favorite instrumentals from you is uh, Japan. Oh, yeah. I, like, you know, you just hear some things and they just take your mind somewhere else. Like, I feel you. So the Japan one, right, came about the loop, the beat. I made the drums. I was trying to make drums. I got like a load of samples. Back then, it was just like little sample packs you could find on like web forums. It was hard. There weren't websites to like buy sample packs or anything like that. So you had to like 
either find them or record them yourself off of like records or CDs. You know, I used to listen to the radio on the in the day and like anything that was out on CD, I knew I could rip um, to my desktop. Back then, you know, it was hard to even like record a vinyl into a computer. It was just like, that was tough. I didn't know how to do it back then and, until maybe a year later. So I would listen to like commercial radio and rip like drums out of like R&B records and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. um, like if we have even like Char, Char's got drums from Michael Jackson in it. No, not many people realize that. But yeah, the, the drum, there's a drum in there from the intro of Beat It by Michael Jackson. That is mad, you know. Yeah, the snare comes straight out of MJ. And um, like MJ, you get me, you gave us a yeah. grand clip there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not many people knew that. But uh, yeah, the, the Japan beat, I, I've always been a massive Timberland fan. And I was like, oh, you know, I want to make like a Timberland, like grime beat or like a dubstep, you know, like in them times I was like in between grime and obviously coming from Croydon, I was like, I came up with a lot of the Croydon, uh, like the dubstep heads. So I was in between both, both sides. And that, that tune was like me trying to make a Timberland grime tune basically. So the drums was like really Timbo influenced. And it was around the time that like, uh, you remember Indian flute with Timberland and Magoo? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that beat. And I was like, that was me. I was like, I want to do beats like that. I badly want to make a tune that sounds like that. And, uh, so I got the drums and I was like, all right, I've got these kind of like, I've got that drum vibe going. And I was on a flight home from Japan when I made that loop. So then I got home and I was like, right, I need like, I need like a, like an Eastern kind of sample. So I started going through uh, like loads of Japanese, Chinese uh, cinema, loads of like old, like, old Kung Fu films, uh, some Bollywood films. Like I was just trying to find something that could sit on that kind of drum. And um, yeah, and eventually I found the, the soundtrack to, uh, to uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Jeez. And I was like, I, I, was, I was in that for a minute and I was just trying to find something. And then, do you know what? In the end, I feel like I downloaded a bunch of stuff off of like LimeWire. Do you remember like downloading off LimeWire? Oh yeah. Char definitely got the LimeWire. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> That's how I realised how many people Yeah, had. man. LimeWire was serious, you know. That yeah. was like a little community of sharing that before, I don't know, a lot of things. A lot, yeah. That was, a, was that before MySpace? Or was that around yeah, the same yeah. time as MySpace? Definitely before MySpace. I would say, I always think of MySpace as like 2006. So like, I think of LimeWire as earlier than that because I remember looking on LimeWire. At MySpace, there was like, we had like, this was in the iTunes era, whereas LimeWire was like before you could really buy a lot of this music as an MP3. And, um, and I was like trying to find, um, trying to find anything like then. So that when I found my own tunes on, um, on, <laughs> on LimeWire, I was actually not that bothered. I was like, oh, seriously? Yeah, I didn't mind it at all. Like, I actually, um, I actually, I got it, you know, I was like, okay, like people can get my beats and just listen to them. I never ever, because back then you couldn't DJ, um, you couldn't DJ with MP3s. It was just for people to listen to like on, on an iPod or something like that. So yeah, I was, I was trying to find like all these soundtracks for like Crouching Tiger and then I downloaded one and it was mislabeled. So what I actually sampled was House of Flying Daggers and I didn't know that because I hadn't seen the film. And I thought I'd sampled um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and then realized like um, when I was playing it out that it wasn't, someone corrected me. 
And then I watched the film and I was like, shit, all this time I thought I was, I thought I'd sampled something completely different. But that was like the whole LimeWire thing. Like even my tunes on LimeWire had different titles. Like people still come up to me and it's like, oh, this beat you made's tough, this tune. And I'm like, what tune is that? And I didn't realize that they were talking about a download from LimeWire where someone's uploaded it and called it like plastician, like Halloween beat or something like that. And it's like, I never made a tune called Halloween. And it was like, it was Venom. It was a tune called Venom. And I, but it, it was doing the rounds on LimeWire called like Halloween or something like that. And I, I was like, I don't know what people are talking about this. What is this Halloween tune? And yeah, it took me years to realize what they were talking about. Similarly, like to me, um, sampling House of Flying Daggers and thinking it was something completely dif different. But um, yeah, that was it. Like, I found that, that sample. I was just trying to find something clean that didn't have drums and other instruments and vocals and stuff on top of it. I just needed a, a clean riff, basically. And I found that one and it fit perfectly to like the beat that I'd already done. I had to make a little few changes to the, to the drum pattern, but ultimately it, it fit so neatly. Then the tune made that whole tune in, a, I reckon about a day. Like for me, that's quick. I'm not one of them people who bangs a tune out in an hour and done. Like yeah. got the whole tune done in a day. I split up with my missus at the time. I remember playing it at forward that night and I played, um, I think I'd spoke to Code Nine in the day and to explain to him that like I'd split up with my missus that week and he was like, Oh, sorry to hear that and I get there and Code Nine was playing and then I think I introed with Japan and he looked at me and he went, This sounds like a post girlfriend uh, breakup tune <laughs> <laughs> It was like a bit of an emotional one. But um but it, it went down really well and I think at the time there wasn't anything that sounded like that in Grime or Not at all. Dubstep, it kind of stood out, and that I think that was why it still looked back on by people of, of who were around that time that remember it. Um, it, held, it holds a bit of a nostalgic place for many. I vividly remember um, hearing that song for the first time, yeah, and I just remember I don't, I think it was a set or something, and Skepta, like it was like it was getting mixed in. And then I remember, I don't know if it took him by surprise as well, but he sounded like he he didn't know what was going on with the beat. And then when he clocked it, it was a jack now. You get because that beat is a madness. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a good one. Like, it's uh, surprising how how it stood the test of time because it is to me like from a production standpoint, it is quite a simple track. But you know, some of my favourite songs of other people's are like you know like, like Pulse X, Timeless, yeah. right? the most simple tune ever and will always be like an anthem of grime. Like yeah. you can't, you can't play that tune and it not get a reaction even to this day. Like, and yeah, it, it's, it's amazing that it has stuck around and stuck with people. But I guess a lot of that's also down to the timing of it. Like it was a, a really, a really interesting point for like British uh, music like grime and dubstep, you know, it was at that time where the two genres were kind of as one at, at nights like Forward and then the nights that Rinse were putting on. And, and I was I was fortunate enough to have been like right at the forefront of that um, with, you know, like I, I was I always had good set times and I was I, I was rolling with MCs that turned out to become like household names. So naturally, like those moments are almost like set in they're almost like put on ice. Like we can revisit them. People will revisit those memories forever. And, and, and fortunately for me, I was involved and, you know, some, a lot 
naturally a lot of my music was as well. So yeah, I don't um, I don't take that for granted at all. It's it's a it's a blessing to have been a part of of that that time. Definitely. Look, you got you got the the uh, the good times in grime. Hundred percent. Yeah, I don't. 100%. I don't. You lot got like the golden era. Like, I, I feel there's been some great eras in grime, and I think it's never really gone away. People always talk about it being dead and stuff, but it's not. It's never really been dead. It's always been active. But um, I mean that 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 era around two like that MySpace era when everyone finally got to see what these MCs looked like, you know, like and and got to know a bit about them. And yeah, also, yeah. like, we all managed to build our own platforms through social media, the early days of MySpace. You know, like, I, half of these people that I listened to on the radio, I had no idea, like, how to contact them or how to link up with them. And things like MySpace and MSN back in the day was, like, my opportunity to, like, link up with all these artists who I'd only heard on, like, radio sets and, like, yeah. tapes that people had lent me from different areas and... It was mad. It was it was an exciting time, and obviously we were there at the right age as well in our early twenties, late teens. So we had that energy, and 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 you know, like no expectation either. Which these days, you know, kids are coming into it. They can see how they can see the path that is ahead of them to like blow. Like what? How do people before me do it? There was no blueprint for us coming through. We didn't have any expectation. So like even things like doing our first gigs and not really getting paid wasn't wasn't even a talking point for us it was like sick we get to play in belgium or we get to you know like, we're going to be in france this weekend that's going to that's insane like whereas now i find that the generation coming through is more you know like where's the money why why ain't i getting paid for this why how come he blew up and i didn't like oh yeah. marketing oh your marketing game's not tight like all of that is like we didn't have anything <laughs> it was just it was we were like kids man it was like fun just like playing around see what certain things pop certain things didn't sometimes it made no sense what did and what didn't but we were all in it to win it you know it's like turning up to the turning turning up to the roulette wheel and just hoping for the numbers to roll in basically and and when you look back at like those times, I I always re, um refer to the the old school grime eras. The it's like a nineties attitude. WWF Stone <laughs> Cold. You got the rock. I know people say grime's dead and that sometimes, but the reality is this: sometimes man can't be living up to the rock standards and all of those guys. <laughs> you just gotta work with what we got here, fam. Do you get? But like when I when I look back at those old times here, yeah, I always remember. And I hate to go keep going back to this, but that sample chart has been in my head for over 10 years, bro. Where did that sample even come from? I wish I could tell you. Again, it would have been um, in a pack of sounds that I downloaded probably off some... I'm trying to think what some of the like forums would have been back then, but there was no like genre-specific forums. It would have just been like music producer forum or something like that. Like, And you find it, and it was where people would just share knowledge in a very early stages of like FL studio. And back then it was called fruity loops and yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you know, like here's a sound pack. And a lot of it was like really low, low quality MP3, you know, sample. Cause back then like internet was, was, was not fast. So yeah, you weren't trying to download like a gigabyte of data. You couldn't like, it used to take me, it used to take me half hour to download a five megabyte MP3 back then. So, yeah, yeah. It was so the samples were like low, low fi not very good quality 
Um, and you'd download a pack of like 30 sounds, but you didn't really know what you was going to get. It'd be like a couple of kick drums, a couple of snares, a couple of vocal sounds, like a couple of hats. And I think it was just in a pack like that. It was just like vocal pack. And it had like that. Uh, it had a few bits in it. I wonder if I can get it, open it on my computer while I'm sat here. Um, I'll see if I can. I'll just close a few bits down while we're talking. But um, it was in a pack like that. I don't know what else was in there with it, but it would have been a heap of rubbish. And that one was just like, so at that time when I made that tune, it was when the whole char sample, right? You remember Alias, Gladiator? Yeah, yeah. Alias, Alias. Yeah. That so it, was one of them, it was one of their tunes that had a bit at the end of it that was like a, it had like a, a, a female vocal sound or something. I'd need to remind myself what it was, but I definitely remember being influenced by one of them Alias instrumentals. And I was like, I need to make an eight bar tune, but it needs to have a little hook or sound in it that like, you know, like, you know, like Pulsex had the, the cowbell and this Alias one had this like female uh, like vocal sample in it. And I was like, oh, I need something in there. And I was just trying to fit. And I think that sound just went in and I was like, like it's it is so no it's so recognizable that it's done like the fact that we're sitting here what nearly 20 years later talking about it yeah did what yeah. it needed to do obviously um how many remixes of shard did you officially make only one one, one. was it the char vip or yeah. refix or the I've VIP. so many of them bro there's like char vip is the only one i did um mark one did a remix and Benga did a remix and then a Zombie did a remix, but all of them kind of, I gave, uh, I gave, I gave them three of the samples. I think the rest of the, any other versions you've heard have been like bootleg, uh, refixes, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely have heard a few, not all of them are great. Some of them are pretty decent, but, uh, <laughs> that was, that's grime in it. Like that whole refix culture was definitely another, Another era. And what is your your um, one of your or do you say top three? Some of your best instrumentals, I guess. Of my of my own, my favourites. Mm. Um, my one of my favourites from that era, right, is is called Aqua Ridden. And the reason that one's one of my favourites is that was the first time I felt like I elevated my own production. It was like an eight bar tune that I structured more like. Um, a proper song so that it was like a beat that MCs could ride but you could play it as an instrumental the whole thing at, at that time I was trying to you know I was getting booked at things like forwards where it was like a dubstep crowd and if mm. I just went and played a set full of eight bar with no MC it would have sounded dead it would have just been like the sound you know the quality of the mix downs wasn't as good as a lot of the dubstep stuff and you're going to play at plastic people it needed to bang so I was like, I need to make some tunes that bang, but still sound like grime. But, you know, people that like dubstep might understand it from like structure. So that tune was one of the first ones where I really structured it like a song. And it was the first time I actually ever played like a VST instrument into. All of my productions before then were just made of samples played in different keys. So that was one of the first one where I loaded a VST and actually played a chord. Like, I'm not musically trained at all. And that was the first tune I ever put um, a chord in into 
and they had a breakdown that had this mad chords that come in at the back end of it and um it was it, it felt to me like i'd stepped up so that one always sticks in my head because i listen to it now and it reminds me of like trying to push myself and uh and also understanding like my understanding of like what was going to work in the club and that and things like that way of thinking made me a better dj and that was also that also came back into my production it was like I, I started to approach my own production so that like it was of use to me as a dj so i was like well i play grime and i play dubstep i need stuff that sits in the middle of that so i produce for myself and amazingly it it meant more people did the same as well because coming into forward to play grime was intimidating i'm not gonna lie like i'd seen people get torn apart on the internet on like back then it was like dubplate.net forum it was like the only forum for like people who went to forward and i remember seeing djs get had like people were ripping into djs who played like a grime tune and i was like oh i don't want to be that guy but they're booking me to play and that's what i play and you know i'm doing the early set so maybe it won't be so bad for me um but it went well and then it, it kind of opened doors i think like a lot of producers around that time the better, better productions started to come in people like the mix downs were getting better you know like when wiley came in with like eskimo and all of the esky stuff like the 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 dubstep sort of like chin stroker like uh you know like what would you say like like journalistic like music journal type people got that they needed they needed that level of grime production before they took it seriously and I was lucky that around that time that the Esky stuff was coming through, my stuff sat nicely alongside that for the, for the, like the journos who were looking for like this, what they considered to be like, uh, like more, what's the word? Like grime was a little bit too raw for them at that point. And what, and I guess like what I was doing was like, trying to like show them consistent instrumental is more it is more like when i think of your beats i don't think of an mc giving you like a famous vocal like you know with like a dj mondi had straight rhythm and whatnot but your ones are just run the beat you get me just run it and i remember listening to rinse back in the day and listening to like your shows and that and it was very much instrumental yeah that works amazing yeah, no, it, it was. I definitely. I don't even think at the time I thought I was doing anything that different. But when you listen back, I guess, and 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 credit to Genius for recognizing that as well. I guess that when I did find myself in there on my own with no MCs, and and I was playing that music still, it was like, do you know what? This music does sound interesting without MCs on it in a weird way. It did. As long as it's being mixed well and. And then obviously bringing in that dubstep stuff as well, like gave it another little, um, another little dimension, I guess, to it. But yeah, it was all kind of like, it was all like a perfect accident, really, in that like, I never kind of set out to be that guy. And I just, I fell into it. Mm. And I was like, oh, I'm that guy now. Well, I, this is just what I play anyway. You know, like I'm not, I'm not trying to market myself necessarily to these, but then it found itself there. Oh, these beats sound like, like people were calling my beats like electro and techno and I was like, they were calling it Croyd and techno and I'm like, what the fuck? I don't listen to techno. I, this ain't techno, it's garage. This is garage. Like, I didn't understand it and I had to Google all these artists that they were like likening me to. I remember reading this article 
And it was like, oh, it sounds like craft work. And I'm like, what the fuck is craft work? Like, I had to Google it. And I was like, that don't sound nothing like my, like, I thought it was nonsense. So I was like, all these people writing about my music were like writing about it to give it context to people that liked like techno. They were like, oh, if you like techno, you'll love this. And I'm like, what? This ain't techno. I was almost offended by it. Like, to the point that I didn't want anyone to label it anything. Like, sometimes I would come and be like, oh, my music's not grime. It's, it's better than that because I've because I've gassed myself reading some article and then I'll be like oh man my music ain't dubstep like dubstep's this and it's like well it's not Gary Jeeva and it's like well it definitely ain't techno like I was such a confused 19 20 year old person that I because I started reading them things and all these influences are coming in and I was like I'm just doing what feels right I, did, I never felt like I needed a tag but I definitely felt like my you know like I found myself in this place between grime and dubstep but it was all kind of natural it wasn't planned but then reading all these articles i was like trying to find a space i guess but with, when i look back now it's like wow like i would love that kind of attention now on something i was doing like i didn't understand it at the time but like the value of it you know like and and also i guess the power of it to spread the music beyond the people that just listen to pirate radio in london you know, the fact that people in magazines in Germany are reading about this kid in London that's making Croydon techno that, like, doesn't make no sense to me, but might make a bit more sense to people in Germany that listen to techno and think that, oh, they need to check out this new sound that's coming out of London. You know, I didn't mm. really understand it back then, being so young, but, but yeah, I guess those times are quite important, looking back. And, and... From from looking back to now looking, well, thinking forward and, and moving forward, Plastician, how, who is Plastician? So Plastician is the same. It wasn't like a, I only had to change my name for legal reasons, right? I wasn't like a, I'm different now. This is my new name moving forward. <laughs> it was uh, literally just a legal uh, thing. There was someone else called Plastic Man. Uh, it was spelt differently. He's a techno DJ. And he is yeah. actually massive. At the time, I was so blinkered in this world of garage and grime that I had no idea who this person was apart from... I still have no idea. I didn't okay. know that. Well, I'll educate, I'll educate you and anyone potentially yeah. listening now then. So Plastic Man was an alias for a, a DJ, Canadian DJ called Richie Horton, who's, who's one of the biggest DJs in the, in the techno world. He probably, if, not, if not the biggest, right? Still to this day. And... Um, when I started like getting them kind of articles, I I seen his name. People were like, oh, but not Plastic Man with the K, Plastic Man with the C. That's me. Um, and I'm like, who is Plastic Man with the K? And then I remember going into Big Apple, and I saw artwork in there. He used to have his studio above the shop, and he's like, you do know there's someone else called Plastic Man, don't you? And I was like, I keep seeing his name, but I, what is it? And he's like, I've got to play your record. So he put it on and it was just a tech. I couldn't even tell you what song of his it was. As soon as it started playing, my mind was just like, nothing like my music. That was my attitude at the time. Where it was like, this guy's never going to hear my music, so I don't care. Like, and honestly, that was my God's honest like, reaction to it. was just like, you may as well turn it off now. This guy's never going to hear my beats ever. And I, that was how I genuinely felt. Um, it was just like a techno tune, like four to the floor, minimal techno, yeah? couldn't have sounded further away from what I was doing in my head at all I was like I make garage that's not garage like if, if he played me a fucking DJ Zinc tune or something I'd have been like oh okay maybe I'll change it but yeah. I was like this guy's never hearing my music 
And then, lo and behold, maybe two years later, I did a remix um, for Skint Records, which is owned by Fatboy Slim, for what was one of the biggest techno records that, uh, of that time. So he's, they've commissioned me to do a Plastic Man remix of like one of the biggest techno records in the world in that time. And that was it. I got a letter from his lawyers. You need to stop this. You're aware of what you've done. Gave me all these examples of like times. And funnily enough, right, there was actually a time when someone did mistake me for Richie Horton. Not like to look at. But I got an email from this guy that was like a, made a documentary, yeah, for like the, the Discovery Channel about um about tribes in africa and um it was like a, he was like I've, I've made this amazing documentary um i don't know a lot about you or your music but one of the people in my production house um in the edit suite put your music to the intro sequence and i was like right and he's like I, he was like i was like I was like, this sounds sick. Are you serious? He was like, he was like, yeah, he goes, I, I can't explain it, but I'd love to just, you know, like, I think I should show you the film, you know, come and see the film, come and see the music in it. And I was like, all right, sick. And I'm like, wow, I was so excited. I was like, my mu music's going to be in a film. Like my grind beats, like we're talking early days. <laughs> so I'm thinking, what tune is it? I don't know what tune would be in this guy's documentary about, about Africa, right? And so I drive my car to, um, to Ascot, yeah, in, yeah. Like, in, in the countryside in England, this amazing house, yeah. The guy's got like a Porsche parked up in, the, like, in his like farmyard driveway, beautiful house. And he kind of like pops his head out the door and he's like, um, oh, just park anywhere you want there, you know, it's private. And he's like, do you eat, he's like, do you eat chili con carne? And I was like, uh, yeah, I'll have some. And he's like, uh, come into the kitchen. So I come in and he's talking about the film and he's like, you know, so he explained how my music came into it. He's like, anyway, um, grab some food, like come into the, the living room and we'll put the film on and then we could talk about it after that. So I was like, cool. So the film starts now, yeah? And it's like, it's like the clouds are like opening and it's like very epic and there's all these like tribal dances going on. And it's cutting like really amazing cinematic slow motion footage of like, uh, tribesmen in Africa uh, dancing and then it comes out and it's like it's showing them farming and it's showing like quite brutal scenes of like cows like getting hacked at like it was very real like it was a it was a it was a raw but very honest documentary about about African uh, tribes like living the, re like the, the realness of living in a tribe so I'm like wow this is amazing and I'm hearing the music but I'm like this ain't my beat so like my beat must be coming like it's gonna drop in <laughs> and then the guy's talking to me and he's like you know talking about a thing he's like obviously you recognize the music and that and i'm like thinking this ain't my beat like, I'm thinking, nah. I'm sitting in this guy's house eating his home cooked chili <laughs> company was it nice yeah it was all right it was all right <laughs> i remember it because he had he had strangely had like potatoes with it and i was like, i'd never had chili con carne with potatoes, potatoes as well i was like but it was it kind of worked in a weird way yeah yeah I've never had it since with potatoes either. So it's like another one of the memories, right? And then I'm like, I'm like, how much longer do I need to listen to this before I have to explain this guy's got the wrong plastic man? And now I've realized what's happened. He's emailed me, whoever is in his thing, this must be the other plastic man. And I'm watching this film, eating it. I was like, after about two or three minutes, I went, I'm really sorry, but I, I actually think that there's been a mistake here. Like there's been a mix. <laughs> and I think that, you know, there's actually two plastic men. And I think that 
you've messaged me, but I think that this song is probably the other guys. And he's like, what? And I was like, I need to show you. I was like, I can show you who he is. And we went, I got onto his computer and I was like, this is his record label. This is him. And I was like, I don't know what this song's called, but if you find out from whoever, I, I guarantee it's this guy. And he's like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. And I was like, no, no, it's cool. Like, I'm embarrassed. I'm sitting here eating food in your house. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, I've, you know, like you've wasted your time. And he's like, oh no, you know, like t take my contact, you know, please send us some of your music. And rather than I was thinking my music ain't going, going to fit like in this documentary at all. Um, but I got in my car and I remember... I remember being stuck on the motorway on the M25 coming home, but I was just sitting there thinking, I cannot wait to tell everyone this story. Like what just happened to me in a weird way. I didn't, I found it more funny than I did find it disappointing. Like, yeah, yeah, but, that yeah. Was it. But, but yeah, when they, when they were accusing me of like stealing money and using his brand, I was like, I gave that as the example. I was like, actually quite the opposite. And one occasion when I, on the one occasion when I was mistaken, I put it right straight away. And in fact, if you check your emails from this guy, if you've got an email from this guy, it was because I put him in touch with your label on that day. So I don't know if he did or didn't get in touch, but you know, that would have backed whatever they were accusing me of, like using his uh, persona to like get, get paid. They basically were saying like I was cheating my way into like these gigs and these remix jobs because people thought that it was him and it was actually me. Which was which was a big reach to be honest. Of course, but, but yeah, because of that, at the same time, um, I joined the BBC, so that gave me access to their lawyers. And I was like, I've got this letter. Um, I'm about to join Radio One. We're going to do the big announcement. Do you think it's a good idea for me to change my name before that announcement and use that as like, we announce I'm joining Radio One, but we also announce that I'm having to change my name for legal reasons. So we used it as like that, the, the, B, the BBC lawyers looked at it and they were like, they're not actually, um, they're not pressing charges on you, but it's a cease and desist. So you can change your name and, and that'll be it. And I was like, okay. So I had to think of a name. And uh, obviously the problem I had before was it sounded exactly the same, even though it's spelt differently. They said, because it sounds the same, it technically, you know, you're, you're breaching copyright or something like that because you're in the same line of work. And I was like, oh, okay. So I still only changed one letter, but uh, it sounds different. So I fully got away, get away with it. It didn't look too different, but it sounded very different and it's still spelt different. So it, it pleased every, it pleased all sides. And then I went ahead and that's how, that's how the name came about the plastician. It's crazy, yeah, because when I was growing up and I heard the, the name Plastic Man, I assumed you was a gunman. <laughs> <laughs> I got that so much. And do you know what? I think also, like, people just assumed that of anyone that was doing pirate radio as well. Like, for people to meet me in person, they were like, I, I, they never pictured me to look and sound the way that I did um, at all. And I got that a lot. People were like, oh, I thought you were going to be, like, six foot, like... I didn't think he was white. Like, you don't sound white on the radio. And I'm like... Beats, the, the beats, the, like, I think it's the, the... When I heard Charles, like, whoever made this, bad man. <laughs> when I saw, I saw the name Plastic Man, I was like, it's, whoever, it's a gun man that made this shit. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, I think, no, I, I think that's what I liked about when I was growing up, is uh, you grew up listening to all these people on tapes and the radio and that, and then you get to see them, you're like, 
I did not think he was going to look like this. Like, I think yeah. everyone gets that. No, no. MySpace, MySpace did that for me with a lot of people. Like, I remember talking to, um, I remember talking to um, Mr. Slash back in the day. Yeah, okay. yeah, I remember Mr. Slash, man, yeah. And he, he was, was sending me these beats, and it was the first time I heard Temper T, and I thought Temps was white. I was like, oh, Temps is holding it up for, for white MCs. <laughs> And he's like, Tim's saying white. And I was like, what? And he's like, bro, go, go on his MySpace. I was like, oh, I haven't seen his MySpace. And I was like, why did I think he was white? Like, it was his voice. I was like, I don't know what his he was. voice is nuts, bro. I never <laughs> thought, I remember, I thought he was some big guy. Like, and then no, I, I, thought, remember, I remember, I remember what you sent on. It was just bad, like. I don't know why I thought he was white, but I, I genuinely thought when I first heard Temper T that he was white. He was a lot shorter than I thought. Like, in my head, I thought he was going to be some big, brolic guy. Like, and then when I saw him, I yeah. was just like, raw. But then he still turned out to be this big, brolic guy. Like, so yeah, I was just yeah. like, dynamics yeah, yeah. are mad, man. But, but yeah, um, that, I think that was MySpace. Like, before that, it was like just radio. And then it was like MySpace and DVDs. And then we actually got to see what these people looked like. That, um, and there was, there was a lot of people. I was like, wow, I never thought that person would look like that. Or, and and then meeting people as well and like you know actually or hearing people's voices because back then it would have just been like typing on the internet forums and MSN and you know we didn't there was no visibility there was no there was no YouTube there was no uh, live streaming there was do you know what I mean there was no TV channels playing grime until like Channel U so a lot of it was just like a guess at what people might look like you know like go to meet people at record shops like oh uh, do you want a link I like bring a CD, I've got dubs. And then the person be there and, and he always has that awkward one where you're in the shop and you're like, everyone that walks in, you're like, you right? And you're trying to work out. You can see that you're both working out. Is that that plastic man? And I'm like, is that odds? Like, <laughs> so I'm trying to, and you'd be like, are you? And there so many times I'll be like, are you, uh, are, you, are you Eastwood or are you odds? And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh, cool. They must have thought this guy's weird, like just standing in the shop asking people because no one, none of us knew what any of us used to be regular to do that, though, man. Yeah, yeah, to ask someone, excuse me, are you? Yeah, exactly. Just carry on your day, like there was like no, it was, it was like you know, I think I've seen a photo of that guy before, but I'm not sure, or the angle's funny, or is that I thought he might have been taller, but it definitely looks like their face. It's like you're going in blind, you don't even know what color people are, how tall they are, if they're male or female. Like, I knew nothing about about some of the people I was like messaging back then it was like phones as well like somehow your number would get passed around my phone oh, yeah. would ring and I'll be someone I don't know who this person I've never heard of them but somehow they've got my number and they want dubs and they're on a station that I've never heard of and and, and I would that I'd link them at radio at record shops with dubs someone I never heard of and that's probably how half of my music ended up on LimeWire because <laughs> <laughs> those people were going home with CDs and just Lime wiring it up, like there's there definitely was beats on LimeWire that I uh, that were not finished. Do you know what I mean? That like I must have just put on a CD that someone's put on on LimeWire. Like it it can only come down to like one of about three or four people that I met once and never saw again. Do you know what I mean? Like, but then there was the madness of like catching people who were sharing your dubs as a thing as well. Like mm -hmm. I had to have some mad conversations with people I thought I could trust about sharing my dubs when it came apparent that, you know, certain dubs were getting leaked around Manchester and around Birmingham. And I'm like, <laughs> I ain't given no one in Birmingham my dubs. How's that, what, how's that happened? Like, you know, that, and that was, even then it was like the idea of people outside of London finding your music was kind of still mad as well. Cause 
you know, I remember I had a, a chat recently with Pinch in Bristol. He was the first person to book me outside of London. And I was like, how did you find my music? Like, and his was like going through record shops as a drum and bass DJ. And he found, he just, he was getting bored of drum and bass that he was buying and asked like what else there was. And someone in the shop was like, oh, you might like some of this like grime, some dubstep. And that's how he came into it. But, you know, even like now, and I think like that, one of the maddest things to me in recent times has been realizing like, you know, like Shallow Grave, that instrument I did. Yeah. Because everyone tells me, oh, that's a legendary instrument. I'm like, at the time, I didn't think many people really played it. And then... Oh, we were playing it. Yeah, people was playing it. But also, like, it, it did the rounds in the Midlands as well, like, in the in the playgrounds. Like, that was the beat that loads of Midlands MCs were spitting over in the playground, from what I heard from so many MCs that I've met from the Midlands are like, your beats on the playground were, like, the beats. Char, Shallow Grave, Section 7. That would they they were the beats uh, still tipping remix like they were yeah. getting bluetoothed to while, while you say still tipping remix what <laughs> uh, what's the main difference between still tipping the original and your remix I know the bass is like a re- you've got some crazy bass on your thing but I don't yeah. know why there why was there a, a grime remix of this uh, I'm just very confused. Yeah, so it wasn't official. I just done it right. We, I think, I came. I'm not even too sure. I like how how I came to remix that specific song, but I liked I liked the Mike Jones tune when it came out. It was hard, and um, I was like, all right. And then I thought, I thought, I was playing the Mike Jones instrumental in my grime sets just as a thing, and then I thought oh, I'd be sick to re- to like do my own version of it, and then. Uh, they they brought out an official remix of of Still Tipping that had 50 on it and a few other people, right? And on the intro of that, it just had the string on its own, like before the beat came in. So I was like, there's the sample. <laughs> and that was it. The rest, that everything else I rebuilt, like even the little piano and the drums are all different. Everything everything in that song is different apart from the the sample, which comes from William Tell, funnily enough. Some classical... Um, music but but yeah I lifted the sample off the intro of the official remix that had a bunch of rappers on it and then uh, and then I built a grime version and again I, I had no idea how how big that one was until like I uploaded it to SoundCloud a few years ago just as like oh here's a beat that never came out you know I got bumped for a lot of money back then like by a distributor an absolute snake and um my mum had to like bail me out of my, my overdraft. And she was like, she didn't realize she was getting me out of my overdraft to be fair. She lent me some money to press a vinyl and, and I put it in the bank and it literally just cleared my overdraft. So I was like back to zero in my bank. Um, but the, the money was to press that record and I never, so I never got to press it. So I just couldn't afford it. Yeah. But yeah, mum thought she was paying to get the pressing done. And little did she know I was like 500 quid in the overdraft already. Um, so it never came out and then I uploaded it like I think 2014 or 15 on SoundCloud and it and it blew up and it's still like now like if I look on it on SoundCloud it had like millions of plays Seriously? I don't know if it had millions of plays but it's got like tens of thousands of downloads let me find it um, um, I mean two, 214,000 plays it's had like uh, 16,000 downloads on SoundCloud. Crazy. 
which is it's pretty nuts or it's still crazy because that tune yeah. came, that came out a while ago yeah oh yeah t- 2005 i made it and um yeah so when i put that up i was like wow that's a that's a shitload of downloads for an instrumental beat and then i think like that was when I realised, oh, it must have been a big one, like, but not. I never really, I never really heard many DJs play it apart from myself. And then um, I know Maximum played it a few times, Tubby as well, but I didn't hear too many others playing it. But Spyro tells me he used to bang it, but I know he's been banging it more recently as well. That tune um, is hard, man. That tune is hard. Wait, the, the, the bass that it just gets me every single time, bro. Yeah, I hear that kind of like that bass in a lot of like grime beats since as well, like that kind of. Um, what's the word like the the syncopation I don't know like that kind of bass pattern mm. so it's it's a yeah like I like that beat a lot like it's one of my old beats that I can listen to and not and it doesn't be I'm not like oh turn it off like but um, but yeah that was that, that was again like one of them beats of that time that seemed to according to loads of people I spoke to was like on everyone's phone everyone was spitting on it 100% um, yeah no, it's good. It's it's nice. Nice to have uh find out that tunes you made had that kind of It was one of those uh, it was one of those beats where if you couldn't get it, because them times there was a lot of exclusive uh exclusive activity going on. Yeah. Run the original, you get me? It sounds <laughs> just that you <laughs> Man, if I'd have known as well, like this is the thing, like back then it was like there was so many so many Stuck bits and pieces that I'd have loved to release, but I just didn't have the money. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't uh, like even for my mum to give me that money that she did to press that. You know, it was a lot of money to my family. Like, um, and it was early, and it wasn't really until maybe like later on in the two thousands, like the two thousand and nine, ten, eleven, twelve, where I actually started earning bet good enough money that I could support. I could have pressed this and that, but by then it it just felt old. It would, I would never have pressed it then. And also the industry had moved from like vinyl to downloads and, you know, it was very little money around in them times when people were stopping to buy, stopping from buying vinyl. And then also they wouldn't buy an MP3. They just download it free from like Kazar or LimeWire. So that them times were mad in the sense that you were seeing your money from vinyl come down and you weren't really seeing the money from digital go up. It felt like the end of the world. But now we look back at the people buying MP3s and it's like, now we wish that we had that money because the streaming money is just down again. Oh, streaming money. I saw you put up some some numbers on the board the other day, man. It hurt my heart, man. It's mad, yeah. Oh, True, though. man. Um, I'm going to... I need to find that, that them stats again, but that was a... Uh, very, yeah. very, it was like a, a humbling experience almost. When you realise, when you think about uh, what it takes to to earn like minimum wage if you just did music and and just did streaming you, you need to be banging like uh about 300,000 streams a month which yeah. you know like that might not sound like a lot to people following like more mainstream artists but if you're a producer like putting instrumentals out or and if you're me if you are no, me I would, be, I would be happy no i would be happy like i i don't make that 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 many streams a month yeah like, none of bro i don't think a lot of people do and i think no. that's the heart the harsh reality of music because all we're doing nowadays is seeing people put these mad numbers on on uh socials and mm. people think oh i could do a million like yeah but 
a million streams is still a ridiculous amount of numbers. Like, yeah, I did. I did my first. So my, I've got one tune that's done a million, and it, it literally just got there uh, like two weeks ago. But my tune with Skepta, Intensive Snare, that's the first tune I've had to do one million. Congrats, man. Yeah, no, it felt like a milestone for me. But in actual money terms, that is five actually, bags. It's 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 not as much as that. It's like it less than five bags. It's a lot less. Let me uh, let me do the math. Hold on. Let me get my uh, calculator up here because I know exactly how much per stream I was doing. So let me see. One, one hundred thousand. One million times naught point naught naught two seven two seven four four. It's it's two thousand seven hundred and twenty-seven pounds. Eesh. And that's and that's at a hundred percent. So if you distribute, if your distributor takes fifteen percent of that, mm. let me let me see what that would work out. At. One sec. Let's let's do the math just to like put it into simple terms for anyone watching. What that means. Um, uh, oh, sorry, I've done it the wrong way around. Um, I'm so bad at like typing and talking at the same time. One million times. I'm just bad at maths, firm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so two thousand seven hundred and twenty-seven pounds forty-four p, and then let's say that your distributor takes fifteen percent of that, so times not point eight five. So that leaves you with two thousand three hundred and eighteen pounds. So let's say. Now let's imagine. Let's imagine a video. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're still in. You're still, yeah. in, you're still in negative equity if you pay it's, like a grand yeah. a video or something. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. But yeah, I mean, like, and to think like that tune's been doing the rounds on streaming sites for like what nine years? It's taken me nine years to earn two grand off of one tune, like my biggest tune. It's crazy. That but, is I mean, crazy. that's that's only obviously like. That's only from Spotify, but obviously I've sold that tune on iTunes and stuff like that. It's made money elsewhere. So overall, it's probably made more than that. But like, if we're looking at purely off Spotify, because you know the stats are there for people to see, just to like put it into money terms for people who maybe just listen and don't realise. Mm. That's that's two thousand three hundred and eighteen pounds is a million streams. Well, this is the crazy thing about. Uh the streaming platforms i know everyone's got like their favorites but if we just go off numbers alone tidal and apple are probably the best to to kind of mm. get your your money from but i'm not sure how that that turns into like audience wise how many people yeah, are even yeah. tidal, but and uh, i know people on apple but i know spotify is dominating yeah they, they do the whole sharing um they've got the the tabs and that on socials so it's very accessible but also they have it it's accessible for free, which is yeah, that, 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 yeah, yeah. That's you the can listen thing. to Spotify and just listen to ads, whereas the other ones you you can't listen unless you've got a subscription. So this is the thing now, you can't. Have you ever played a Spotify on Xbox? No, I can't say I have. Like on a, on your phone, you know that you uh, you can't listen to certain albums if you're if on a, a free account because you can yes. do, you have to do shuffle play. I don't have that problem on my Xbox. What so it just plays it with no ads? I can play any album. No, I'll get I'll get like maybe a couple ads like during like let's say I'm listening to a, a song of a album of twelve songs or whatever. You'll get a, a a here and there ad, but 
it's letting me play whatever I want to play. Yeah. But there's no initiative to kind of get a premium account. But then yeah. when I think about that on a long scale, it's like, right, this doesn't, this doesn't, this isn't turning out good for the artists in, in the long haul of this. I think it needs to be better. I think there's a lot of pros and cons, right? Because it is easy to attack Spotify because they're kind of like naturally, yeah, everyone's going for the king. Spotify's earn, earning the most money, but they're also paying out one of the least per stream of any platform. But it's easy to attack Spotify when they're sitting in like an, an, an office block that costs them about two million a month in rent. Like, do you know what I mean? There's, they could be doing better. It's like, it's like the government, isn't it? Like we elect, we elect our prime minister, therefore we should be able to um, dispute the way he's running our country, yeah? And it's the same with Spotify because they are by default running the industry. That yeah. we like, whether we like it or not, we can't take them down. We don't, and also taking them down would probably be it doesn't benefit us though to take no. them down, not at all. We They've done amazing yeah. things for even things like this pod, like podcast, just doing exactly. you know what I mean, exactly. And for all the bad it does do, it does a lot of good, but it, it doesn't mean that we can't hold them accountable to do better. And this is why I really like Bandcamp as a platform because the I just best. think they. They, they got artists in, in mind. Um, also, just the way that they've dealt with the whole Black Lives Matter um, issue compared to a lot of the other platforms that, you know, have done the posts and, and said they'll pledge this and that. And Bandcamp... Have what did uh, Bandcamp do? What have so they on, the, with it? on the 19th of June this month, um, they're going to give 100% of their profits to uh, the NAACP. Oh, salutes, man. Shout out. So that will be, be millions. That will be millions, probably, yeah. in the day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, things like that. I think coming out of the back of what, we've, what we're all going through right now, yeah, um, coming out of the back of COVID, coming out of the back of the Black Lives Matter um, uprising, like, a lot of, especially brands, I feel like the way that we perceive brands, particularly, is going to be... You know, this is going to dictate a lot of things coming out. Like, I think it's going to change fashion. You know, we've all been stuck indoors for three months, and I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's like your money money management scene is has been like, it's, and for all the money that people are losing from not working, they should also be able to realize the money they're not wasting on things. Like, yeah. I ain't bought a pair of kicks while I've been on lockdown. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, I, it makes you realize that all these things that I thought I needed. I don't really need, you know, so long as everyone around me is healthy and, and, and everyone's doing all right, you know, like trying to keep jobs out here is, is important. And, and, and money management has become like so obvious to me. I'm like, well, wow, where I've seen, like, I had to tighten my belt because I've lost all my gigs, most of my income gone. Right. And, and at the beginning of lockdown, all of my consultancy hours, anything I earned money from apart from selling music lost gone with no idea of when I'm going to get it back, right? So I, I had to stop lots of things, like any subscriptions that I didn't really need, like in my business case, that was like mail, you know, MailChimp, the email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, I was paying like 50 pounds a month for that and I barely use it. So I'm like, get rid of that, get rid of this, get rid of that. So now I'm like, well, like, I know I'm still not bringing in that much money, but the difference I can see in the money that's coming out of my company or out of my personal pocket is actually going to make a difference. Like, even though I'm not bringing in that, I'm saving this, this and this. So like, I'm not, I realize that a lot of these things that I thought I needed 
I don't really need. And then I look at things like, it also makes you look at like that whole Instagram influencer, all that kind of stuff, how quiet that's all gone. And it makes yeah. me feel like they're only selling products that we don't really need. And these products are not trying to advertise to people that are not trying to spend money on stupid things they don't need right now. So we're seeing less influencer ads, you know, less, less influencers full stop. The thing that's worrying to me, or not worrying, but just like this whole influencer sphere are very quiet on Black Lives Matter. When they could be using their influence properly, they've gone quiet because they're not getting paid for it. And that speaks volumes for the whole influencer demographic for me is that what are they really influencing and coming out of the back of this i think some companies and individuals have 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 like gone above and beyond or like just done the right thing or like i just feel more comfortable giving my money to certain people's companies and you know like giving someone a like or buying someone's music or and i think that on there be everything's going to be a little bit more honest and hopefully more open and transparent whether that comes to how companies are um, employing their employees, like what their business markup looks like, uh, how they're supporting equality. But then beyond that, in a music sphere, companies like Bandcamp have brought so many new people into the idea of buying music to support the artists who right now could do with your money. Like, you know, a lot of people are struggling, don't know if, if they're gonna have jobs at the end of this, you know, you paying a few quid for a couple of tracks times, you know, 50 people do that. That's more money than they're going to earn from Spotify yeah. in six months. And they see it today. You know, another thing with like streaming revenue is you won't see it for four months because it takes three months for them to account to you. And then your distributor will take like another month to account that to you. So if you stream my album on Spotify today, I'm not even seeing the money from that player until three months. Yeah, three, four months. Crazy. But if someone buys it on Bandcamp, it's in my PayPal in like an hour. Yeah, that's why that's why I got my whole like I made sure that like so you know back in the day we've got obviously copyright songs you can't really yeah, yeah. put on that. Yeah. I've got my whole catalogue on, on Bandcamp man. So trust me, Bandcamp definitely is like one of the best things for, for independent artists, I think. Yeah, I think I've just listened to loads of other people's podcasts for like years as well. I've been trying to like obviously running a label on that. I've, I've been on Bandcamp as an artist and also as a label since 2009. Yeah. And um, the time I really saw the difference was in when SoundCloud really popped in around 2014, when it was like popping on SoundCloud. Um, and, and, you know, you can like, you can add a link to download or whatever. And then I, I just sent everyone to Bandcamp. And now, so although like things wouldn't like absolutely smash on Bandcamp, um, it, always like stayed it was like constantly building it up and you know like the way Bandcamp is you actually have access to the people who bought your music via like a uh, messaging and stuff like that so amazing so they get they get an email to let them know that you've got a new release so like on release day you might make a little few quid I'm not I, I'm not doing enormous numbers on Bandcamp you know but if like 50 people buy an EP that's 200 pounds you know what I mean like um, that's, that's that, nearly that's nearly enough to get the PS5 exactly <laughs> yes I, kinda, I was i'm not gonna lie i was watching it yesterday and i'm probably like i might be slightly different to other people but i was a bit gassed about the idea of like destruction derby on on ps5 because i was a destruction derby fan on ps1 and that dis was it like destruction allies or something what was it called um 
There's been a few of them. I'm sure. Was it Destruction Allies? Something. It was Destruction something. But it looked. I was. I was. I was excited for that because I like Destruction Derby was a was a banger of a game for PS One and. I've been I've been trying to find something like it since, hmm. and nothing's there. I'm uh, more into um, I don't know what it is yet about the world ending in a game that I enjoy, like this <laughs> thing of like grabbing guns and finding yeah, out yeah, what's yeah. going on, like what, but, World War Z and all that. Yeah, yeah, like I'm playing the I'm I've got I've got an Xbox right now, so I'm playing um Division Two. Oh, okay, yeah. There's this uh, virus that has killed like half the population. You gotta find out what's going on. You know what I mean, mate. I've been like, I, I'm looking forward to my kids getting a little bit older so that I can game with with them. Right, my kids love games. I've got a five year old and a two year old. My five year old's obsessed with games, but he played you know it's Nintendo Switch. Yeah. So like about the closest thing to an adult game that that he's allowed to play is like Fortnite, but I'm awful at it. <laughs> I'm so Fortnite bad. is a strange game, man. Oh, trying to like, I'm bad enough playing play these days, people. man. <laughs> But like, I can't believe watching my kid play a, f- a five-year-old play this game and navigate it still. Yeah, they know what's going on. They know how to build as well. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Like, I can't even begin to imagine what they're going to be playing when they're like in their teens. Because PS Five is is going to come out when he's six. Yeah. And look at that. Like, like the the technology in those games is nuts. Like ray tracing and all of this stuff. And I'm like. He's literally going to be playing in a simulation when he's in his teens. Like it's some some genius. So real. There's a game on PS4, Dream. It's called Dream. Whoever made this game is gonna get straight to the bag by the time they get to PS5. I think is the game called Dream. Yeah, Dream. I'm sure the game's called Dream. But basically, this game is basically a game where you create the game. Right. So they've basically just given you all the developing tools to simulate everything in a game to do whatever you want to do and they put it online and you can share and do like that's mad yeah i mean i so i guess like people would do stuff like that in minecraft and that they can create yeah. little side games in it and yeah stuff it's the, like those sort of games have taken over because now these companies are probably saying well we could just give them the tools and exactly yeah money, like yeah maybe they've got better ideas than us they might make the games yeah and somewhere, some kid is going to have access to... Because well, we had Super Nintendo. We were just blowing cartridges. These yeah, kids yeah. are going to be designing <laughs> some... It's true. <laughs> I still play those games now. Right? I got like an emulator on my PC the other day to like play some of the games. And uh, they're, they're shit. Like, you play them now and they're just dead. Like, I can't believe it, it, it. I used to sit for weeks and months playing like Final Fight. Dead game. <laughs> play it now. Final Fight's dead, bruv. Like... It's actually dead. Like I, I get bored of it by like the second level. I'm like, I don't even want to complete this game now. Like, you're just fighting the same people for ten for ten levels, basically. Like, I, um, not- what did I tweet the other day? I tweeted that um, we was proper playing GTA in bird's eye view, like dickheads. You know? Oh my yeah. god! What yeah, was I, you doing, man? I know. I, I remember. I literally remember as well. Like, I remember playing that game, like that overhead view one, and. One of the most exciting things that I could do in that game was steal loads of cars and then line them up like dominoes and blow one up until it like was like a domino effect. <laughs> but the game was so basic that if you once you got to about twelve cars in a row, they just started disappearing because it couldn't you couldn't have that many cars. It couldn't remember that you'd put that many cars like in a row. 
It's crazy. So you were kind of like limited to about 12 cars to blow up and then like, <laughs> that's it. But that was like the funnest thing that I remember doing in that game. And then now you look, you can walk into the casino and place bets and horse racing and it's crazy. It's an amazing game. Like It's amazing. GTA like, 5, has, I've been playing it for the last seven years maybe. It's nuts. It's nuts. To see that they announced it for PS5. Like, now nah, they're taking a piss with that though. I couldn't yeah. believe that. Though. I said, no, nah, I don't want to play this on there. But I will. That is the joke. Yeah. I will. But. What are they going to put into it? Like, they've got to do something. They've got to introduce something new. You can't just like reboard a game and put it onto the PS5. What know. could they introduce new in GTA 5? But if, you know, it is the more they introduce stuff in GTA 5, it's just like, are you guys ever going to make six? Like, yeah. We need yeah. six. Man, I've been, I've, I've been involved in the last few years. Like, I've not been able to, I can't talk about where or who I was involved with, but um, I got involved with a games company that um, randomly as someone that worked at one of these companies bought some merch from the label. Mm. And I was working on this VR project at the time. So I sit down, I was like, oh, I, I, could, I need to meet more people that are in this gaming world. Like, so I sent them an email and was like, oh, I saw you bought this merch and you work for this company. And I didn't realize that the, the, the company's based like around the corner from where I lived. So I was like, could I come and meet you one day and just try so I've met them and like was so I got involved in like writing, writing some music for this game that was in like beta development and all that and it was like it was like a finished game and then all of a sudden whoever's like pulling the purse strings in the company got fed this new idea for this other game that they came up with and he's like right that's it no money more no more money spent on any of those games we're all putting it all in this and literally everything that we've been working on for like two years we're like really sorry but like game's done now and I'm like what We've been playing this game. It's, 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 you just not bring it out now. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. Game like, involved is nuts. Like, what? But that's how it works. And you realise, so like, God knows how many like beginnings of GTA 6 there's actually been at Rockstar. And, and also know for a fact that whoever's working on that game is getting paid the bag to stay quiet. And I bet it will get sprung on us and it will be the most incredible thing we've ever seen. Yeah, 100%. They, they write history with every game that they bring out on, on that. on that, And they know, you know, like that, that cyberpunk game looks kind of mad that's coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a couple games. I'm, I'm, I'm heavy into the um, NBA 2K20 right now. That's kind of taken me by surprise. It was, it was, it was, it was on the um, Xbox store for like £2.50. And I was like... I've seen loads of people. I played, I've, never, I've not played 20, but I went on a tour a couple of years ago and the, the artist I was supporting on that tour was a, was a, was a heavy NBA player and mm. uh, we played it on the tour bus a lot and I was shit at it. it was, it's quite, it's so intricate but it is a good game. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. Crazy, man. It's crazy. FIFA looked simple by comparison. Yeah, they, they, they spend a lot of money in golf, basketball and uh, hockey. Mm. I'm not sure why but those seem to be the, the great gap, graphic yes. games. I used to love the golf games. I used to love the Tiger Woods games growing up. I'll tell you what I've been playing recently. Like, again, you know, you said about the store giving it for 250 Yeah. Um, Epic Games on PC has been giving a game away for free. Yeah. So I was like, they, right, do, uh, they did GTA, didn't they? They did GTA, but I already had GTA on my computer, so pissed about it. But I only paid like £12 for the PC one a while ago. Mm. Um, I haven't even played it. I haven't even. Played it. One is the it's the best one, you know. You can do mods like you could. The stuff you can do in the PC, you can't do on the on the console. 
You can build shit in there, man. Gonna, yeah, if I go quiet on social media in a month or two, you'll know why. I'm gonna Bro, be GTA. The graphics, yeah. Even when you see it, you're going to be like, what the fuck have I been doing this whole time? Like, I'm, I, I'm excited to try it now. But I've been playing this other one, right? When I was young, I used to play... Do you remember that game Civilization? Did you ever play that growing up? No, but it does ring a bell. Well, my son started talking to me about the Romans and shit. And then I must have seen that this game was free on the Epic Store. And I was like... I remember used to play that when I was young and it taught me about how like the armies like invaded England and shit and like, you know, like the Crusades and the, and, and the Romans and, and like the Aztecs and it was like all of that. So I was like, oh, I'll get that game and it might teach him a bit about history and like evolution from like, you know, oh, we've invented the wheel. We can now get cars and stuff like that. Like it's all of that. So I got it and, I, and that's a 2K game and it's amazing. It's like so deep. I'm not very good at it, but I, I, I've, I've got, I had to buy it on my phone because I played it on the computer and I was like, oh, this game's mad. Mm-hmm. But because I'm a parent, I can't sit in front of my computer for like a whole day playing a game. But I can do that on my phone at night time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I bought it on my phone and I, I'm like, I wear the battery out on my phone every day. Like, I'll have a cup of tea and like, oh, let me stick the game on for a minute, an hour, gone, like. I've started doing that with the, the 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 mobile gaming. I've got a game called King of Fighters, and it's oh like, yeah 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 that like the old beat 'em up. Yeah, it's like a it's like a Tekken Streets of Rage, yes. Street Fighter, and just collect battle cards, and then you can fight. And the only reason I got it is because they did a WWE special, then they put the Rock in there, Undertaker. I was like, any game with the Undertaker, I'm getting it straight away, man. <laughs> Did you ever hear that at the time that Dizzy met The Undertaker? What? Oh, yeah. Well, I remember seeing Dizzy. <laughs> Dizzy Rascal must have tweeted that uh, <laughs> he met Undertaker in a, in a, in a hotel like, lobby or something, and he was gassed because he was like, oh, my God, that's Undertaker. Undertaker, yeah, man. So he's like, oh, my God, like, it's the fucking Undertaker. And he's like, normally I see celebrities, but like, I, don't, I don't talk to them. Well, yeah. I have to talk to Undertaker, but like... You know, I like. I wanted to try and be cool. Like, I wanted him to know that I was someone myself. Like, like that it wasn't that it was a big deal for me to go and talk to him. But you know, I didn't want to be like a neek or anything. So as <laughs> he went up to Undertaker, and was like, "Yo, like, Undertaker, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm I'm a rapper in it. Like, like good to meet you." But like, he felt like he had to tell him that he was a rapper because yeah, I, I know talking. about them ones. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you just got yeah, I rap still like. Yeah. <laughs> That made me laugh so much. I've been, I've been in a, I was in a situation once with, with Buster Rhymes. I must have got in an elevator, right, in a hotel. And at five o'clock in the morning in Miami, yeah, I'm drunk, first after a gig. And I come into this lobby and I'm like, oh, I'm pissed. Like, the, the, the lobby was a, had this small elevator, like really small. Like, you can barely fit three people in it, yeah? It's like a really old Miami building. And I heard this story that another DJ had met Buster Rhymes when he played there and I thought he was bullshitting. I was like, mm. bullshit. You tell me Buster Rhymes is staying in a hotel that you were in in Miami, yeah? So I get over at five o'clock in the morning and I get into the ele- elevator and someone turns and says, like, oh, can you hold the door for me? And I turn around, it's, bus- it's fucking Buster Rhymes. And I'm like, I'm standing in this elevator with Buster Rhymes. Like, he's fucking massive, yeah? He's like, hench. And he looks so stoned. He's like, his eyes are bright pink. And he looks like he's going to fall asleep, like, just like I am. And I, I, I'm like, I need to say something to him. But what, what can I say? 
without I need to say something, but I can't go like, Are you Buster Rhymes? Like you're clearly Buster Rhymes. So all I come out with, my drunken self, was five AM, yeah, what? Party done in Miami. And he's like, Yeah, this is it, party done, man. And then he got out and went, Have a good night. And I was like, Good night, mate. And then it door closed and I was just like oh. I was like, I could have given him a USB or something, like, nah, like sometimes what? the brain does that though, man. I've been in those moments, you don't know what to say, you know. I didn't know what I wanted from that question. What did, what did I expect to happen? I wasn't going to get invited to an after party or what. Like, it's 5 a.m. We're both clearly fucking tired. Like, what did I think was going to come from that question? I don't know what I thought. But my brain just said, you got to say something. And that was it. <laughs> it, happens, it happens like that, man. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, I feel you on the wrestlers. I, I, I was a big, uh, big wrestling fan when I was a young man. Any favourite wrestlers? I think, like, I went through, like, two different eras, right? So, like, it was that 90s era, like, where, obviously, like, British Bulldog was, like, oh, the, geez, the British yeah, guy. David Blair Smith, done Yeah, that. so, like, naturally, he was a favourite. And the Rockers, Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels, that was a big mm, one for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then they got, like, the bait ones, like, Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan, right, obviously. Um, then n- none of none of them have, like, have... Uh, have have crowned themselves in glory since uh, their glory days, let's be honest. It's true, um, it's true. true. But then I think I kind of semi got back into it like in the raw era with uh, like some of of my friends and my family friends were a bit younger than me and like they were heavy into wrestling. So we used to like hang out on the weekends, they'd watch wrestling and I found myself drawn into it. I was like, actually, like The Rock, like uh, the Nation of Domination and the Corporation and DX and Stone Cold and like hardcore Holly and Mankind and like that era. Good times. Like there's a channel on Twitch that just streams old wrestling and it's actually going through a lot of the nineties at the minute. But like whenever it's on, I find myself glued to it for like an hour at least. You might send me that link, man. Cause I've been meaning to get in on, on this Twitch. Speaking of Twitch, you and Twitch. Oh yeah. Yes, the the, uh, the 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 quiz series. A genius idea. I think it was just trying to do something to stay active, and also to like keep spirits high when everyone was stuck indoors, basically, and try and do something that like wasn't just. So it was good to do the music ones, but then it was about also something that maybe you know people are stuck indoors with their mum and dad, or and and their, and their brother and sister, or their other half that you know might want to get involved in a quiz, but maybe doesn't know about like pre-2006 grime or something mm-hmm. like that. And um, yeah, I think at the minute with everything that's been going on, um, the post like the, the whole George Floyd um, passing, it's felt a little bit wrong. So I have, I've held off doing the, the quizzes for now because I think like, you know, it's, it's time for some, like some more serious discussion to be taking place. Of course, um, of course. But a lot of people are saying like, oh, you know, it would be nice to like get it to kind of like, escape for a bit and you know i think there is still scope there to like raise a bit of money while we're doing it and stuff people people donated like quite nicely to um to the to the stream when i did a mix like the first weekend after it happened and um may, maybe i might look into maybe doing a quiz next week on something and try to raise some extra money for that um that would be dope man i need to i need to participate in one of these man see if i can get yeah. any questions right man 
Yeah, no, it's it's, it's funny. Like the 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 Channel U one was probably the best one, I think, because it took long though. It was like three hours, like three hours. But I literally like Eight. I downloaded loads of Channel U classics. Yeah. And I was like, right, we're gonna watch the video, mm. and like remember it, and then so because I wanted I wanted to do a Channel U one that that also allowed people that didn't know what they were watching to join in and also like see the videos sometimes for the first time. Cause I could have done one and just been like, all right, everyone who remembers channel U, here's the questions. But I thought oh, I'd be funnier if we watch it and like yeah. have a bit of the nostalgia. That's tall. Uh, it was good, man. It was like, it was long three hours, but everyone that was there was like there for the three hours. Like, you know, having banter about the videos. We got Mr. Wong up in there to like ask a question. We got a, uh, Blizzard in there from from Manchester. Loads of like old faces from from the Channel U era. It was good, man. I I love that uh quarantine has forced everybody to um be more creative and yeah. think about what content that we've got to put out to replace or substitute our usual exactly ways of I love that the creative the um the creative ideas that everyone's doing in quarantine. It's yeah. just amazing. Like, it's just amazing. <laughs> it's forced you to think outside the box and I would never have thought of doing a quiz in normal times, but it's like, you know, I've got no gigs. I need, I need people to still see that I'm active. Yeah. You know, like I need to build an audience on Twitch. I, I know Twitch is more about, you know, like hanging out and interacting. So I could just DJ on Twitch every day if I wanted to, but I don't think people would really watch it or, or like come there for it. You know what I mean? I'd come there. If you if, fling in a char, I'm in there. For- <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, when I when I tell people I'm gonna do an old school mix, it pops more than yeah, it. We need that charm, man. That <laughs> is crazy, bro. Uh, but yeah, bro, it's it's been good, and and I like I think again that like, Twitch is a super positive community as well, and I feel like it's been quite, um, it's been like almost like therapeutic for me to get in there and talk to people, and you know everyone's going through this uh, quarantine together. Um, and it, it brought a lot. It brought a lot of people together. I think at the beginning, and now obviously, like the the world has been flipped on its head, and like we're at a danger of like getting at each other's throats um, at a time when we really need to try and come together and support each other. And it's it, it's such, been such a weird few months, really, to go from you know like what was a horrible situation with COVID to then there was actually like you know there was like a a slightly more positive side like people were engaging with it, more people you know supporting musicians on Bandcamp all that kind of stuff. there's loads of nice things that happened and and now um we've had like this the tragic events um with George Floyd and everything that's come from that which has sparked some really serious and important conversation and that is a massive positive but you know on on the other side we've got you know all of the far right activists coming out of the woodwork and people um, offended at, at statues being taken down. And it's like, there's so much stuff to get angry at on Twitter at the moment, all the time. Yeah. It's like, it's a really, we're in a really weird, I've, I've never felt um, such a range of emotions over like a couple of months. And, and a lot of it felt like stuff that was out of my control. Do you know what I mean? Like almost like grief, you know, like grief can hit you. You didn't ask for it. You weren't expecting it. You weren't prepared for it. And, and this, this is a bit like that, but sometimes it will be a really positive feeling and other times it will be a really negative feeling. And I feel like I was getting 
I was getting some quite good positive vibes out doing the Twitch and it helped me a lot. Um, kind of try and like look away at the negative end of like, you've got no gigs, you've got no work, you, you know, you've got to do something. And then I go on Twitch and everyone would be really like supportive and nice and trying to help and trying to donate some money to help me out. And, and then, and then going onto Twitch, like post George Floyd, I was like, you know, I don't know what to do, but I think I can raise some money and bang, like 300 pounds donated in a couple of hours on there. Like, do you know what I mean? It's just like, it is a really positive side of what's going on. I think, um, so yeah, ratings to Twitch and the people that use it, like it's been ultimately quite a, quite a positive uh, part of everything that's been going on. And it's definitely something that, that I'll continue to do post lockdown, you know, it's going to try and keep, keep it moving long-term um, and yeah, just like keep growing, keep building in there and I keep, keep trying to use it um, to the best of my ability. And, you know, I think the quizzes are definitely something that people are, are asking me for again. And uh, yeah, I have been very mindful that I'm not sure I felt right doing something a little bit as quite as lighthearted and banterous as that in this current time. Yeah. Yeah. I respect that, man. Yeah. It's just that, and even just playing music and stuff. Like we was doing some other streams around, like how to make beats, how to do this. And then once I made the beat, it's like right, the beat's done. Now what? Like let's get it mastered. Let's get the artwork done. Let's show you how to promote your releases. Let's pitch it to Spotify. Let's the whole process. And then um, and then I kind of had to even hold off on that as well because I just felt at the minute our attention needs to be elsewhere. And but I do respect that you know at the same time there, you know I'm trying. We're trying. There are artists out there that, that want the help, want um, the advice. So it's a double-edged sword. It's like you know, on the one hand, you want to be mindful of the situation we're in, but on the other hand, it's like also accept that there are people that are relying on learning a bit more about getting getting some money back from their music, and that they're like two things that I feel are like fighting against each other in my head quite a lot. The moments like. You know, should I do this? Is it okay to do that? Is it right time to do this now? You know, it's like DJing. You got to read the room. You got to like try and figure out. You know, reading what... the room is very important sometimes, yeah. man. You got to read the room. You know, you got to you got to know when. You know what? When to use your platform for what? And I think so. So far, I'm doing all right, but I'm always checking myself. You know what I mean? Like speaking to my friends, peers, people like yourself, like just. I think discussion is the most key thing right now above, yeah, yeah. you know, promoting things or, you know, trying as much as it is really important to try and do some positive things and try and like trying to get some form of normality back to like your work life if possible. But, um, but yeah, I think discussion is so key. And from, from a white perspective, uh, just listening as well and, and understanding the perspective of others and being respectful of that, you know, um, it's been, it's been, um, it's been an enlightening few weeks for me just speaking to, you know, I've always, I never felt like I was like that far out of the situation, but I can never, I can never understand it fully as a white person. So it's been really nice actually to speak to so many of my black friends and just check in on them. And also just to get their perspective on everything that's going on and understand what like everyone else can be doing to be better enough i feel quite positive about 
a lot of the things, a lot of the discussions I've been involved in and meetings and stuff like that. I think companies, businesses, um, yeah, I feel fairly positive that everyone that I'm speaking to at least is moving in the direction that we all want to see. So hopefully this is the beginning of uh, something good. It feels like it. It feels, it feels like we're, we're definitely this this feels like the most impactful for for a long time but we we'll see how it goes we'll see how it goes because i have a, yeah. a idea in my head but we're gonna stay positive you know exactly i think i think it's a long-term thing isn't it no none of these problems are going to be uh are going to be changed in the next six months it's going to yeah, be like, yeah. It's yeah. got to be a continuous thing exactly. that we we, we it needs keep to be ingrained. Into, it's it's a societal problem. It's not like it's not like putting a plaster on a graze. Do you know what I mean? We exactly. There has to be like you know the the, the roots are deeply ingrained in society. Yeah. It's gonna take a few years to undo them. Like all these kids growing up now, they can't grow up in the same society that that, that many of us have grown up in. I just, I just hope we get to the root so we can fix the whole plant. Exactly. You know I mean? And I think I th this is the disappointing thing about the governments being so soft on it in like why, you know, like why the US and, Amer and the UK government haven't actually like publicly denounced it, you know, like categorically, this cannot go on anymore and point the finger at, you know, admit, ad they don't want to admit their, that they're wrong. That's the problem. The government still, our government still hasn't, you know, like still hasn't fixed the Grenfell problem. Yeah, and and but it's that systematic sort of feel that makes me very concerned about how they're going to handle this situation, because it's, that Grenfell situation is was dealt with terribly, and that guy ended up being our prime minister. Exactly. You know what I mean? So it'll be very interesting to see. It does. It does leave you feeling a little bit powerless in that sense because. No matter you always feel like you know, no matter what we do, you know, no matter how many people are out on the streets marching, Boris Johnson's still there, not talking about it, or like, yeah. or taking. Has he said anything up to this point? Not, not, not worth noting. Like he's kind of like he's he's the only things I can think of. I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong, but the only things I I can think of off the top of my head were in relation to the potential dangers of the big protests on the COVID situation. It was like. We do, it was something along the lines of we respect the right for those people, you know, and obviously what happened in America was tragic and, we, and, and um, you know, we, the family and uh, friends of George Floyd are in our minds, all that kind of stuff, like very political. But please don't go out in your hundreds and thousands because, you know, COVID's out there. And, and I think, I might be wrong, um, but I think that's all I saw, something along the lines of please don't go out in your hundreds of thousands mm. COVID. A and bit like, you know, that's not enough. Like we, we, we our country. It's actually our, very, quite, it's very silent on, on our country and our situation. Like. Exactly. And this is the disappointing thing is like, if that's our prime minister, he's essentially representing us to the rest of the world, right? Mm. If he doesn't say, Trump, we don't agree with the way that the police are handling with this in your country. America as a country needs to deal with its police problem. And we look within at our own. And it makes us realize that actually we've got these same problems and we need to address them. And this is what I suggest is where we're going to start. And we haven't got that. That's the, that should be the start point. And because we've not got that, it's just disappointing on so many levels and it can make you feel defeated. Like we're doing all this good work and it feels like as a society, people are like a little bit more open to the idea of 
you know, accepting that there is structural racism in society and we need to change that. And all of these businesses and individuals are doing what they can. But then if it's not stopped at the root, i.e. the government stand up and say, we're going to start cracking down on companies that don't see this, this and this. You know, if anyone gets caught, like race crime is going to be this. And like, it needs to be a message. There is no message from the top. And for me, that is the root. And it, like I say, it's going to take years to undo this. And it, it might take less time in some parts of the UK and the rest of the world than others. But, you know, when just when you think, I keep saying like, just when you think that we're making progress, you just need to look on the comments thread on Twitter of something about statues or, and, and, and just see the reaction to that. First, yeah. And it's like, when you realize that it's like, wow, I thought, I thought we were getting beyond that, but clearly yeah. not. There's hundreds of thousands of people moaning about a statue or, you know, they're more worried about someone spray painting a, a war memorial than they are about speaking up for, uh, for black people who've had to deal with police brutality or, you know, like discrimination in the workplace, etc. But it starts here, I guess. It should have started a long time ago, but it does feel like there's a bit, bit quite a bit more momentum now. And also just like on like, on the whole, I think like culture and society is a lot more invested in making sure it, it works this time around. Yeah, yeah. We got, we got a see, man. We got, all we can do is hope. We can, we can move forward and hope. You know what I mean? So, definitely, there is definitely hope, and that's that's, that's a start. That's, that's a start. That, for real, for real. Um, before I go, there is a there is a question I have to ask you because it's been on my mind for the last year or so. But I don't know why I don't I don't know why I didn't just DM you and and just ask you. But, <laughs> What is your involvement with um, Pirate Studios? So I, I came to meet them um, a couple, just over a couple of years, well, it's quite a way over, it's like two and a half years ago now. Um, when I was working on this VR thing, um, I was introduced to them by Jam Supernova, who uh, I think, um, you know, she had some links at the company. They were looking after her with some free time in these new DJ rooms that they built and, you know, wanted to get, some feedback from some DJs and they, she was one of their early contacts of DJs that they knew. And mm. uh, I think they must have asked her like, who do you know that all that we could reach out to that might, you know, be up for having a look round and, and she introduced them to me. And, uh, and at the time I was doing this VR thing and it was like, basically like live streaming into a VR thing. Like basically see like your Sonic background in the, in the background. Yeah. We were building like a world that looked like that and then we put a DJ inside it and people could like put like they could kind of like long story short, I was we were doing this mad stuff. And uh they showed me the rooms and I was like, These rooms are sick, um but I've got this equipment indoors, so I'm not sure what my usage would be for it. But I know loads of people that would love this and I think as a product it's amazing. But I was like thinking like what could I do? Because they basically wanted to give me like an ambassador credit role where like I can just use the studios whenever I want and there was no pressure but it was like you know if you, any support that you can give us would be great and like you know if you can introduce us to some of your friends who DJ uh, we're just trying to build the community and I was like cool but I was like I, do you know what I could do is like if we can build like a green screen in one of these rooms we I could bring some pretty big DJs and artists through to do sets we can film them and we can put them in this VR thing that I'm doing and they saw it and 
we were working together on that like um, for a little while and then my I fell out of my business partner on that um, the whole thing folded overnight so I was like shit man Pyro have been working with me on this for like probably a couple months at this point um, so they were quite invested in the idea and they were like they were spending their own money to like build stuff that would help us and you know they didn't need to do any of that so it was like all done in good good spirit and good nature um, to like try and work more with us in the future and when that happened, I was just like, shit. So I reached out to the CEO and I was like, I'm really, really sorry, but this has just happened. And unfortunately, like, I can't see a way out. Like, my business partner won't talk to me. He's blocked me on everything online, deleted all of our work we've done up to this point. So as far as I'm concerned, he was just a, he was a, he was a genius, the guy, basically. He was a young uh, dude who was like a, he was like a computer hacker, maniac, mind he would like he could he just he built an app in a week that essentially like turned a shitty iPhone four into a full fledged like VR headset type thing. Jeez. Like I, I I presented it to a guy who used to be head of PlayStation Europe, and he saw it and he could not believe that we had built this with no money. He's like, "How have you done this?" Hmm. Um, and he's like, "I really like it. I want in, and I'm down to like help you. He's like, if we can get a deck together, we can present it to investors, and I'm absolutely certain." you can build a company with the kind of investment because it was just me and him. He was doing all of the tech. I was doing all of the business mm. and getting the artists on board and all that. So yeah. Um, after this week, he just like, he had a bit of an episode where he was like really depressed, really down. And I told him like, you know, don't worry about doing live stream on Sunday. Uh, take a break, like go for a walk, have a rest, man. You've like worked nonstop on this app for a week up to this presentation. And now we've done it. And the I'm guy was him up. He was losing it. He was like, he literally was in tears on the phone to me on the next day after that thing. And it was like clear to me that like, you know, mental health issues were like having a hold. So I, I said like, you know, you sound like you need a break, man. Like, honestly, like you've worked super hard. Let's leave the stream this weekend, get yourself a break. And his response to that was, oh yeah, just cause you know, just not stream on Sunday. Cause it doesn't even fucking matter. And I'm like, bro, it doesn't matter to me because I can do a DJ set for two hours. That's minor. Definitely matters still. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I care. I'm telling you, like, I think it would be good for all of us if you have a little break. And, you know, we, we, I can work on this deck. That's not going to, like, test me too much. You go and just have a break. We don't need to be developing nothing on this app now. It does what it needed, needed to do. We've got someone interested who can bring investors in. That's it. Mm. We're there. Just have a break. Like, have a breather for a week. And uh, then he just like ignored me, blocked me on Facebook and then streamed himself on the weekend and was like up in the chat, like abusing people in the chat, like as the owner of the Facebook page that he was streaming. So I was like, that's not cool, man. Like you can't treat me like that for one. I work hard on this and I was only looking out for your best interest because, you know, I was worried about your mental health and I'm looking out for you. And he was like, well, from reading this email, um, i Basically, it's become apparent that you're a fucking dick and I don't like you. And this is it. As far as I say, goes, this is my nice email. I don't want, I don't have the time to write what I really think. But thanks for all the time you put in. I think it's best we split it now. And that was it. Done. That's when Plastic Man should have got the Plastic Man, you know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, wow. Like, um, bear in mind, I never met this guy in person. Like, he was based in Guatemala. And I'm based here. What? Wait, what? The base of a volcano, bro. Right? <laughs> How do you meet someone to even 
when I left, <laughs> it was mad, right? When I left Rinse, I stumbled across one of his live streams and I was like, this is mad. Like, it's like a mad live stream. It looks like fucking Sonic the Hedgehog having a dance off with Homer Simpson. <laughs> and people can vote on which one's winning. And I was like, this is nuts. Like, I've never seen this in like 360 degree. Like, you could, you could put headset on and look around it like that if you wanted to. I was like, this is amazing. People are interacting and the chat on Facebook is like nothing I've ever seen on a live stream. Like everyone's in there. Mm. They're all like back and forth. Like you see how, like I know you had Scully on and like you see how viral that went on, on Twitter when they started doing it, right? It felt like that was happening on Facebook when this guy streams and I was like, yeah. this is nuts. But I, I reckon if I can put, if we can put DJs in there, next level, like the, the sky's the limit. Like mm. a live stream show that is that people watching it can interact with and have an actual like Im impact on. It was amazing. And that was it. I just stumbled upon it, emailed him and he was down and I was like, yeah, cool. Let's work. Like, and after a few weeks of talking, he was like, realized that there's a lot of things that he couldn't do that I could do. And I absolutely couldn't build the tech that he was doing. So it worked, but yeah, back to the pirate studios. So then like come like January, just after Christmas, um so this all happened around like november and i just did not know what to do with myself for like a month because right? i've been working flat out on it for about nine months at that point mm. it was like a full-time job and um yeah so then uh, the ceo david borry uh he sent me an email he's like i'm really sorry to hear that it sucks like you were really onto something there um but you know i, was, I basically said, like i owe you guys one you gave me so much time and you've invested time and money into it and you're getting nothing back and uh, he was like, well, like, let's have a chat. And then he called me in and was like, you know, we're, we're trying to get these DJ rooms with, this is a new product. We're trying to like reach more DJs, you know, like more, we want to work with DJs and MCs. And, you know, you seem to know a lot of people in that realm. And would, how would you feel about trying to like get some more people into the studios and like give them some credit, you know, set them up. And I was like, that sounds like such a blessed job. Like yeah. I get to call up people that I rate and say, oh, do you need some free time in the studio or, that's the vibes. That's, that's the best like, job. Yeah, I was like, that's sick. Yeah, I was like, I'm more than happy to do that. I was like, um, like how, how does this work? Like, like, he was like, well, how much time um, could you give? And I was like, maybe maybe like a couple days a week I could do. So they were like, yeah, that will work. Um, so I came in there doing that a couple of days a week. Um, and at first, I think we were trying to find, like, what is what am I in here to do apart from, like, reaching out to DJs and that? And then, but then I kind of like got involved more in like the product end, talking to uh, Ben Ralston, who's like head of product. When the idea was to like let's make some production studios and stuff like that, like you know we want to we want to uh, move more into that market. Like, how do you feel about this? Picking my brain about the tech and how important is this? And you know the they they know their stuff when it comes to building rooms and making them soundproof and all that. It was more about do you think people would use this and. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like my only experience before them though was always going in studio to record vocals with an engineer. And I was like, that might be the only sticking point. But in fact, it's actually been really good from a personal perspective using their rooms that I actually know how to engineer vocals now. And I used to lazily just pay someone else to do it. So it's actually like, it, it's kind of, it gave me the tools. So mate, that when, I, when I realized that I'm like, actually, like, this is sick. Like, so many people will benefit from using these rooms and forcing themselves to do it themselves. And I'm a massive, like, supporter of DIY 
in the music industry like do it yourself 90 percent of the stuff that you charge that get you get charged to do you can do it you really can. and like, that was one of them i was like you know i'd, I'd, I'd normally just spend 200 quid to, to sit in the studio and have someone hit record and like maybe put a bit of compression on the mic and do the stabs and then ping me the acapella and now i'm like i i, I can do that myself and that's one of the things that they're empowering musicians to do is like and it's so cheap it's like we don't have youth clubs where you can have a go on the decks or this equipment's expensive like it took me years to spend to save money to have those decks and yeah. um and i think like when i first went in i couldn't believe how cheap it was i was like how do you keep it cheap and their business model is just so good that their their margins are tight but they keep it tight so that like it stays cheap so that people use it regularly obviously that's the whole business model is like if the, if the if the rooms are busy then they can keep it cheap yeah and that's it they just got to keep making sure the rooms are busy people are uh, having a good time in the rooms and and all of that so it's been a blessing to be involved with them like i you know like it, being in the industry as long as i have i've met loads of snakes and like bad companies and people who are just trying to profit off of artists uh, jump on the back of someone's like buzz to like yeah. better themselves and they're not that company and um yeah i, I just I, I they're really nice people to work with you know their hearts are in the right place that they're, they're not the company you know like they don't have a great deal of money to spend on on things because a lot of it's invested straight back into opening more locations and improving the locations that exist and while they're still building they're still a startup essentially they're only three they've only been here like three and a half four years so it's uh it's good i like to support that kind of company like whether i was working there or not um i don't have a bad word to say about them as a company or people i think they're in it for the right reasons uh the studios are great and and like i said like my job like there's that how cool is that that i you know i, I spot a good artist that i think is sick and i i don't even need to ask them now like oh is it all right if i give this person some credit like they don't ask they just trust that i'm putting good artists in if they hit me up, they're like, oh, we, we, we've got this idea for this new content thing we're trying to do. We're going to film artists doing this and that. Who do you think? And then, like, I'm listening to. I feel like, you know, I'm actually there for my opinions on things and listen to. And you not got, just me, but... You're the guy in the room. You're like, yeah. you're like Scully, man. I was saying this to Scully as well. Like, it's, it's great when there's people in the room that can change the narrative of how a company may see, like, grime or whatever. Because mm. some people will be like, we need a grime artist and then they go and pick up a rap group like six, seven or something like, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's good to have someone in the room that knows what's going on. Yeah. And, and, and impact to, to help our scene as well. You know what I mean? And I think, um, I think I recognize as well, like with the product that we have, like as an artist involved in grime, I was like, what, what do grime artists really need? Yeah. Studio. Most people make beats at home. Most people yeah, can spit. Yeah. It's just like, there's a studio which is basically like a home studio, but it's not in your house. You're not bothering parents. You're not bothering neighbors. You know, uh, you can meet someone you've never met before, like in a, in a, like in a neutral space where like you're both on the same level. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, and I've had some amazing sessions, but also just like being in and out of the studios, something that I really like about it is the community aspect of it because you know, like, when we grew up doing grime and that i would meet people at the record shop or i'd meet people at uh the cutting studio cutting dub plates or something like that right 
or I'd meet people at Pirate Radio because they did the show before and after me. Yeah. And like people, you know, like people like Silencer, Teddy, uh, you know, Funk Butcher, uh, 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 Yellow, like uh, DJ Target, loads of these people that I would never have met if I weren't on radio or, and that's it. Like, but in the digital era, Mm. where everything's on demand and like you can do it from home and deliver and you know like actual physical spaces where people can meet in the music industry as musicians there's not really any unless you're going into the nightclubs and now you know as we know like a lot of clubs have been closed down uh, even before covid like the, the small venues medium-sized venues are disappearing you don't you don't you don't link someone at a 10,000 capacity print work to you do you know what i mean like you don't wander down. You got to have a ticket. You got to have that motive in your head for like six months. Yeah. So back in the day, you might be like Thursday night, be like, oh, you know, what? I might pop down to Forward, or I might, I might pop down to uh, Straight Out of Bethnal, or I might pop down to Eskimo Dance or something like that. Like we, we don't have that anymore. So these spaces allow amount of people I've bumped into, like MCs that I never met before, or uh, DJs or other producers that. I bump into a couple of times and have a conversation with and now you know some people that I've bumped into that I've spoken to on the phone in the last couple of weeks to see how they are like that's important you know yeah, like yeah. building that community and like a, in real life actual connection on a human level with other people that are like in like-minded do you know what I mean I think it I, there's a lot of things I like about of what, of what, about what Pirate does and um, yeah like I said just being being on that team being in the room so to speak is uh is important and i and i and i don't underestimate the importance of my role there and they're like and they don't either they definitely i feel appreciated there as well which is 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 not always the case when you work with big businesses or companies you know sometimes sometimes yeah sometimes they're not always they're not always there though exactly yeah exactly they're, they're kind of like on a short end sometimes but it's good that you've got a company that are, are seeing the, the long the longevity in, in in music making especially for artists that can't really afford studio because i remember my first couple studio sessions was like i just remember like thinking 25 pound an hour i need to get this shit done in 20 minutes i'm trying to get out of here but, but. exactly that and i mean like you can the, what was it? The uh, you like the studios there were like what sixty pounds for like twelve hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you you could record an EP in a day yeah, if you've yeah. written the bars already. You can go and get that done for sixty pounds. And like they're reopening, I think this week, and I know they're running a um, they're running um, a promo like your first booking back, you can pay what you want. Like, what? I'll yeah, sign up now. You know. <laughs> Yeah, you do it, do it. Um, but they're yeah. saying, like, you know, like as a thank you to all of the people that have like supported them up to now, you know, like and and anyone that's not been in yet, here's an opportunity. No, like, I ain't been in. I need to. I need to get in. I wanna. I wanna record a podcast soon, man. They got podcast rooms now as well. You seen yeah. them? It's, it's all about content. More content. That, there's there's that, enough yeah. MCs. I'm too old now, man. <laughs> well, they got yeah, they got um, podcast studios in the the new Wembley location, I think, and they're amazing was involved in some testing on that as well. Um, but the guys that designed the rooms there, very, very, uh, very, very good at what they do. And uh, they look great. I haven't, I haven't been inside one yet, but put a few people in the rooms and they tell me that they're incredible. So get in there, man. Put this, this little laptop on charge before it dies over here. 
the great thing about technology is that it lasts longer than it did back in the day. I'm still trying to figure out how this all works, but that's what COVID's done, though. I think you know we've all got to learn learn all of these uh, gadgets now. Crazy man, it's crazy. It is. But plastician, aka plastic man. Yes. With a C, with a C. Yeah. We don't have no more letters. I don't. I just realized no more letters here with a C. Yeah. But thank you for for joining me, man. This yeah. is like one of those those talks where it's like, you know, when you listen to like your favorite uh, DJs or producers or MCs, and then like one day you think, I wonder what it would be like to have a conversation with that guy, man. Yeah, yeah. This is a, a this has been checked off my checklist now, man. No, it's been nice talking, man, and uh, like always, always a pleasure. You know, I've been I've been aware of your music for a while now, and we've never had the chance to sit and have a chat like this. So, yeah, uh, yeah, nice. I, I enjoy these talks because I think sometimes in 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 a rush to make music with uh, people, sometimes you don't actually just get to sit down and break out a conversation. It's true, De- definitely true. I think like. For me, it's always been like if I travel with someone, then I might get to know them on the flight. Yeah, that's usually when it happens. Yeah, definitely. There's a, there's certain people I've played countless gigs with that I might have only had like a couple conversations with. So yeah, it was it was it was good to have a chat at length about the world, games, wrestling, everything. Bro. <laughs> everything. This is this is what this podcast is, bro. We exactly. try and mix in a little bit of everything, man. That's it. Well, I hope I hope uh, I hope we didn't send anyone to sleep. Hopefully, I'm not too boring, but. Yeah, the nice Grams didn't need this content. I didn't have it growing up, so they're finally getting it. Now, man. That's it. That's it. That's, Big that's up, Ribs. But thank you very much, man. And um, this won't be our last convo. I'm sure we'll have many more still. 100%. 100%. Thank you, man. Thank you for, for joining me today, man. Anytime, bro. Anytime. Uh, love, Big my bro, man. Love.